water isn't being diverted into the Pacific because environmental laws. It's because that's how rivers work. Oh, don't tell the president. Actually, you probably already know. I got the feeling that something right. He just doesn't care. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Facts. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Who needs them? Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the From middle Pacifica with Radio you. in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN. Palinville, New York's WLPP. Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV. In Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF, we also stream on uh, the internets, coast-to-coast coast and around the globe, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, blanketing planet Earth five sweltering days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around well, fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us for another thrilling episode of the world-famous Bradcast. Glad you could be with us. Coming up, we will be joined by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Michael Hiltzik of the L.A. Times to help us make sense of, such that sense can be made, of Donald Trump's Bizarre tweets this past week regarding the devastating wildfires up and down the state of California right now. And I should say again this year amid record heat, thanks to, yes, climate change, which um, he argues is uh, Michael Hiltzik does is uh, those tweets are really about several planned changes or attempted changes to how the federal government deals with California's water use and the Endangered Species Act, which affects everyone. So Mr. Hiltzik will be here shortly to explain. But first, a couple of both related and unrelated stories I want to try to hit. Let's start with the unrelated one first that we have been covering. I got to say, Desi Doyen, if you are a Democrat... Uh, looking at what's going on in Kansas with this gubernatorial mess uh, in the wake of the uh, GOP primary last Tuesday yeah. I, I, in the state out there, I suspect you could not have asked for a better outcome than what we are now seeing right now. If you designed it yourself as a Democrat, the crazier, uh, easier to beat of the two GOP candidates running in that gubernatorial primary that would be Chris Kobach, the crazier of the two. He has a very slim lead, a very slim lead, as ballots are being canvassed right now. Um, and uh, this would be, of course, the far right, many times over disgraced Secretary of State, Chris Kobach. 
He has uh, got this very slim lead over the more moderate and arguably sane sitting Republican Governor Jeff Collier. So he's got this tiny lead. And as Secretary of State, he has been insisting that he would not recuse himself from the canvassing and counting process or the likely recount process. And apparently he has been giving inaccurate instructions to counties about how to count certain mail-in and provisional ballots. Wow. At least according to the sitting governor who is uh, challenging uh, Kobach here and his uh, failure to recuse and those incorrect instructions. And so now you've got the sitting governor. Republican governor calling him out on all of this and most likely preparing to ask for a recount no matter how things go over the next 10 days or so of canvassing and potential litigation thereafter, no matter who wins, all of which means that uh, neither of these two GOP candidates could or uh, uh, who, who will one of them will eventually have the nomination. But it means that neither of them are able to concentrate on campaigning for the November election that they hope to run in right now against the Democratic candidate, Laura Ka- Kelly, who easily won her nomination last Tuesday night. So it's quite the spectacle. It is quite the spectacle. And uh, if things continue along this lines, uh, I don't think it will be long before one or both of the two Republican candidates begin to accuse the other guy of voter fraud <laughs> oh, man. or some such. So wow. like I say, if you're a Democrat, who could ask for anything more right now than what's happening? Here's uh, some of the news. According to AP, Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach said on Thursday night that he will now remove himself from the further counting of votes while his Republican primary battle with Governor Jeff Collier hangs in the balance. Kobach described it, however, as a, quote, symbolic step in response to a public demand that he recuse from Collier. The governor publicly accused Kobach, the state's top election official, of giving county election officials information uh, about the handling of yet uncounted ballots that was, quote, inconsistent with Kansas law. This is the Republican governor accusing the Republican secretary of state of this as they both battle for the gubernatorial nomination. Collier demanded in a letter to Kobach that Kobach stop advising county officials and have the state's attorney general do it instead, which, of course, seems like a no-brainer to me, but then again, I may underestimate how much of a no-brain that Chris Kobach (laughs) actually has in this case. Yeah. The uh, very close contest uh, between the embattled governor and the right-wing lightning rod took another acrimonious turn. Uh, as Kobach's already tiny lead had shrunk, as we noted on our previous broadcast, from 191 votes to just 91 votes after it was discovered that the Secretary of State's office, that would be Chris Kobach, Secretary of State, his office gave Collier 100 votes less than one of the counties had instructed them to do uh, on election night after doing the tallying. So it was down to 91 votes. Now it's back up to 121 vote margin for Kobach out of some 311,000 ballots cast. After another county discovered that a group of votes uh, had not been correctly reported on election night. Kobach uh, needled Collier on Fox News. 
An appearance on Thursday evening saying it would be, quote, pointless to remove himself from the process because the state's 105 counties handle the counting of ballots themselves, not the Secretary of State's office, but that he might do it just to make Collier feel good. Quote, make him feel good. Now, you know, even if there is no conflict of interest, you would think he would understand the appearance of conflict of interest. And that would be enough to get him to drop out, but not Chris uh, Kobach. Yeah. And also, even though he's recused, uh, he still has all the passwords. And aren't his loyal staffers still involved in all of this? Uh, Well, they are involved in it and he's involved in it because, you know, there's questions about which... Uh, mail-in ballots, which provisional ballots need to be counted and uh, meet the law and so forth. So he's part of the process. So you would think he would want to get out just for that reason. So he was, you know, saying, ah, you know, maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't. And then with the pressure building a little bit more than an hour later after his appearance on Fox, he uh, was questioned on CNN. And then he said, of course, if he wants me to, I would. And he has said, okay. Uh, I do want you to, so I will. That's what. That's how he put it. Now, I don't know if he has officially, Collier was asking for an official, some official paperwork to this end, what exactly he means by recusing. But um, at least he says he's going to recuse. In his letter to Kobach after his campaign uh, had announced, after Collier's, Collier's campaign had announced that they had set up a, quote, voting integrity hotline, he had urged people to report their complaints about the election. Collier spokesperson Kendall Marr said it received, quote, countless reports since setting up this, quote, voter in voting integrity hotline. Uh, And by the way, one of the ways to recognize a right winger from an actual election integrity advocate or even from just most Democrats The right wingers will use the word voting integrity or voter integrity instead of election integrity, as if the voters had done something wrong, which the voters haven't. And they almost never do. But that puts the focus on voters who are doing nothing wrong. It's a telltale sign when you hear that you're usually dealing with a Republican. If you hear someone claiming that, you know, they're. Uh, an activist, they're concerned about our elections, and then they talk about voting integrity, there's your telltale sign. Uh, In any event, Collier said in that letter, it has come to my attention, this is to Kobach, it has come to my attention that your office is giving advice to county officials as recently as a conference call yesterday, and you are making public statements on national television which are inconsistent with Kansas law and may serve to suppress the vote in the ongoing primary election process. Now, in most cases, this is exactly where the Republican candidate would jump in to call the other guy a sore loser and a conspiracy theorist, but the sore loser conspiracy theorist in this case happens to be the governor of the state of Kansas. Collier wrote that uh, circumstances, quote, obviously increase the likelihood that one of the candidates may seek a recount or even the possibility of litigation. So, again, if you're a Democrat, I, you can't ask for much better than this. Casey, uh, Kansas City Star says that um, Collier spokesperson uh, Kendall Marr said, quote, we've received countless reports that voters experienced issues when they voted on Tuesday. Many Collier voters had difficulties finding his name on the ballot. 
or were forced to vote on provisional ballots or were turned away outright for unknown reasons. And uh, this uh, reference to difficulty finding his name on the ballot, well, this would be most likely, I'm just guessing here, but on these uh, ESNS express vote uh, voting machines, these brand new systems that they brought into parts of Kansas now, including the most populous county of Johnson, Johnson County, uh, that are touchscreen systems that print out a barcoded ballot. And those barcodes are then tallied by other computers. But one of the problems with those machines is that they don't show all of the candidates. When you got a lot of candidates in a race, they don't show all the candidates on a single screen. You actually have to hit a button that says more in order to see the other candidates. So that could well explain why some people did not see Chris Kobach's name when they went to vote on the ballot. And they were designed that way. They were designed that way and theoretically approved by the Secretary of State, Chris Kobach. So this fight is going to go on for a while in Kansas uh, as they continue to work through um, all, all of the ba- all the count canvassing, all of the late vote by mails, all of the provisionals, uh, as they potentially go to court. The uh, Republicans will be beating themselves up, uh, each other up in the bargain. And uh, so, yeah, I'd say this is the best case scenario for Democrats, uh, especially if this fight goes on for a while, which it might. And uh, and then if Kobach ends up winning anyway, uh, that would be really good for them because he'd likely be much easier to beat than Collier in November. So uh, there is that. And uh, on our previous broadcast, uh, after our latest Green News report, uh, Desi, in which you had described Donald Trump's administration, his EPA's newly announced plans to bring asbestos back. <laughs> yes. As we noted, uh, who knew that MAGA actually stood for making asbestos great again? Wait, you mean you didn't vote to bring asbestos back? Apparently, oh, yeah, that's I guess who knew? Uh, well, anyway, after the, that uh, Green News report, I had mentioned uh, that we were out of time, uh, but I, there was a couple of uh, related points I wanted to make about this whole asbestos thing, which kills some 40,000 people a year uh, through mesothelioma and lung cancer and uh, the U.S. being one of the few countries in the developed world not to have completely banned asbestos. And yet now we're talking about bringing it back for certain uses that would have to be approved by the EPA. But uh, we shouldn't even be using it at all. Most countries have banned it. But yeah, the only safe us. use of asbestos is not to use it. So a couple of points I wanted to get to on that real quick. The uh, EPA had released a report about uh, how they were going to consider using asbestos in the future. Uh, and some other chemicals, some other dangerous chemicals. Uh, And that report states that the agency will no longer consider the effect or presence of substances in the air, ground, or water in its risk assessments of these things. Right. So I guess uh, unless you touch it or eat it, 
they're not going to be concerned about the effects that it might uh, have. And if it's not in a new application, as in like starting forward from today. So if you have an old house, for example, that still has asbestos in its insulation, if you have it in, you know, they're like tiles and drywall and other not uses. Not their problem. Not their problem. They're not going to look at how that continues to cause problems for folks today. So they have um, this uh, issued this new rule about how they're going to deal with various chemicals and uh, it greenlights companies to use toxic chemicals like asbestos without consideration about how it will endanger people who are indirectly in contact with them. So if you touch it or if you put it in your mouth directly, that might be a problem. But if it's in the air, if it's in your drinking water, eh. Not you know, worry. yeah. Not, if not the, the house, EPA's problem. If the house next door to you, for example, is old and being torn down, and it gets into the air and it gets into your lungs, that's too bad. Yeah, the Healthy Building Network, which is an environmental advocacy advocacy group, told Fast Company that the uh, that the fibrous materials in asbestos pose a major health risk for everyone exposed to it, including those who mine it those who handle it in industrial facilities, as well as people near or inside renovation and construction projects where it's being used, as you say. Uh, but here's the little nugget I want to get to here. As the world's largest exporter of asbestos, the Russian company Ural Asbest is what it's called, they operate an enormous open mine pit nearly half the size of Manhattan in a mountainous town 900 miles northeast of Moscow. This according to the Center for Public Integrity. And the company has the support from the Russian government and the president, Vladimir Putin, even though their economic success exposes all of the local residents to a major health risk. But earlier... Uh, last month, the Environmental Working Group, EWG, discovered uh, a post on Ural's Best's Facebook page showing photos of bags of asbestos on company pallets wrapped in, in plastic. The, ba the asbestos is inside. They're wrapped in plastic. And the plastic is stamped with a seal of... U.S. President Donald Trump's face on the seal of this asbestos, these pallets coming out of Russia. It's a big circle with uh, Cyrillic letters around the outside and Donald Trump's face stamped in the middle. On the product. On the product. What's going on? Uh, I don't know what to make of that, but we can show you the pictures. They exist. Trump's face is on uh, this this pallet of asbestos. And but I will yeah. tell you, uh, on Friday, the New York Times posted a news story that uh, shows that internal emails show EPA upper management sought a late change to that asbestos rule that would be favorable to the chemical industry, and it was over the objections of longtime staff and EPA scientists. Don't know how much this has to do with Donald Trump himself, of course, but uh, as the Architects newspaper reports, Trump has been a, a long been vocal about his skepticism on the harmful effects of asbestos. Apparently, he's an asbestos denier, too. Well, as a real estate developer, I'm sure it got in the way for him. In his 1997 book, The Art of the Comeback... 
This was after the art of the deal, and then all of his companies went bankrupt, and then he came back somehow or another, wrote the book, The Art of Comeback. Uh, he, he said that anti-asbestos efforts were, quote, led by the mob, unquote. In 2012, he tweeted that the World Trade Center might not have burned had the fire retardant material not been removed from the towers. It's estimated that 400 tons of asbestos fiber actually went into the structures of the uh, World Trade Center before the developers stopped it from being further used back in 1971, which uh, Trump was complaining about still in 2012, though the EPA is now easing its regulations against uh, integrating the harmful toxin and others like it under the Trump administration. It will largely be the responsibility now of local and state governments as well as companies and informed consumers to counter these new federal moves, says the Architects newspaper. I'll just add one more yeah. thing that the head of the EPA's chemical office is Nancy Beck, the former chief, uh, one of the former top executives at the American Chemistry Council. She's probably the one that had something to do with changing the rules at the last minute, which is what we're now dealing with. Which is what we're now dealing with and which, uh, you know, the Architects paper points out that, oh, now it'll be up to state and local government to deal with it. Well, maybe or maybe not, as we've seen with these uh, various fights you've been covering on uh, the Green News Report of late, Desi Doyen, the federal government is not happy with the way that California is dealing with its own standards, its own emissions, its own mileage standards, its own environmental issues, and now it seems with its own water issues. Um, well, we'll take a quick break here and we'll come back with Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Michael Hiltzik from the L.A. Times who has been reporting on exactly that in the wake of these extraordinary fires still continuing up and down California. That's next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. back to the broadcast Brad Friedman from bradblog.com as record wildfires continue to rage now up and down the great state of California the Trump administration is taking the opportunity not to help the thousands of firefighters in the state battle the record blazes including one that is now the largest in state history instead they seem to have decided not to let a good catastrophe go to waste, especially when it's in their mortal enemy state of California, I guess, when they can otherwise use these disasters as an excuse to change largely unrelated policies that right-wingers have long wanted to change, even if they have nothing at all to do with the immediate disaster of record wildfires in a record hot summer fueled by 
climate change's global warming, which the administration continues, as you know, to regard as a myth and a hoax anyway. Now, I don't usually like to focus on Donald Trump's uh, ridiculous statements and rallies and Twitter feed, but here I need to, for a moment, focus on uh, some of his tweets, since his curious and wildly ignorant tweets about the California wildfires over the past few days appear to signal a new effort by the administration to change a number of major federal policies that, in truth, have nothing to do with fighting wildfires or why they are no, now so uh, difficult to fight in the first place here in the Golden State. Many are focusing on the silliness of his tweets, but overlooking why he appears to be saying what he is saying, and that seems a mistake to me. But let's start with the tweet itself. As Emily Atkin notes at the uh, New Republic several days ago, last year was the deadliest and most destructive wildfire season in California's history, but, she says, that could soon change. As the state now enters the peak month of fire season, wildfires have already burned more than 290,000 acres and killed eight people. This time last year, in what had been the most deadly and destructive uh, season in state history, only about 220,000 acres had burned by this time, and no one had died. The 2017 season would eventually claim 44 lives. Now, since then, I should note, officials have pegged the number of burnt acreage to as much as 400,000 acres this year, with about 1,100 homes destroyed to date. Why are these wildfires so bad, and why do they seem to be getting worse over time, Atkin asks? Well, President Donald Trump offered his opinion in a Sunday night tweet writing that, quote, bad environmental laws have been diverting water away from firefighting efforts into the Pacific Ocean. He also wrote that the state, quote, must tree clear to stop fire spreading. Presented with Trump's tweet, the uh, state firefighting agency, Atkin notes, notes, said that it had no idea what he was talking about. Dan Berlant, assistant deputy director at Cal Fire, told The New York Times, we have plenty of water to fight these wildfires, but let's be clear, it's our changing climate that is leading to more severe and destructive fires. Longtime Los Angeles Times columnist Michael Hiltzik has been similarly trying over the past week to make sense of Trump's tweets and what they really mean for the ongoing disaster here in California and future changes to long-standing federal laws and environmental regulations. Michael Hiltzik is the Times Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and business columnist where he has served as a financial and political writer, an investigative reporter, a technology writer, an editor, and a foreign correspondent in Africa and Russia. He's also the author of several books, including Big Science, Ernest Lawrence and the Invention that Launched the Military-Industrial Complex, and the New York Times bestseller Colossus, Hoover Dam and the Making of the American Century. Michael Hiltzik, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thanks. It's good to be on with you. Uh, you reported last week, uh, Michael, that uh, on on at least one of the big reasons that likely explains Trump's bizarre tweets about California's wildfires, uh, about quote where he said bad environmental laws which aren't allowing massive amount of readily available available water to be properly utilized. And then his odd reference to diverting water into the oceans. 
you know, as rivers do all by themselves. But before we get to what you have found that might explain the tweet in uh, in reality, as far as policy goes, you describe the tweet itself as, quote, some sort of award that it deserves some sort of award for most glaring misstatements about climate change and water policy in the smallest number of words ever. So let me allow you, uh, Michael, to defend that charge. Why is it, as you and others charge, that uh, his tweet is such an ignorant misstatement of the problem at hand? Well, as you pointed out, uh, uh, you know, just a moment or two ago, um, Trump seemed to be arguing that uh, that environmental laws, bad or good or whatever, were diverting water that was needed to fight these fires. And as Cal Fire has told, uh, told me and, and many others, there's just simply no truth to that. Um, there is more than enough water uh, on site to fight these fires. The, the fires in Northern California surround huge reservoirs. Uh, Cal Fire and firefighters are drawing from those reservoirs all the time. There's no crisis. There's no shortage. And in any case, water is is just one of the many devices or, or many instruments that firefighters use to fight wildfires, and it's by no means the most important. Uh, so, so there's that. Bad environmental laws. Trump wasn't very clear as to which laws he was talking about, but as I pointed out, the fact is that the environmental laws uh, that have contributed or, or to uh, to the fire situation are laws that he has abrogated uh, by uh, by withdrawing the United States from climate change conferences and uh, and undermining greenhouse gas regulations and 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 what have you and that all contributes to the hot and dry conditions and the drought conditions that have contributed to these wildfires over time so. Yeah. Diverted to the Pacific Ocean, as you pointed out, water goes to the Pacific Ocean. That's where the waters in our rivers go. The diversions are the diversion of water for growers in the Central Valley of California who uh, live in one of the very few Republican zones in the state and uh, and are uh, basically supported by the very few Republican office holders we have in Congress. And uh, for, for people not in California uh, who may not understand, Republicans have long argued that uh, the way California is using water is actually the reason for the years-long drought that we have been uh, fighting out here, facing out here, not the actual you know, lack of things like rain and snowfall during these years. These are actually drought deniers, Michael, who, who think we don't have a drought here at all. And if I recall during the, I, I want to say it was during the 2016 election, didn't Donald Trump also say something along those lines, that we have plenty of water out here in California, we're just misusing it? Yes, uh, Trump during the campaign sort of emerged as the drought denier in chief. And that was after he came up to the Central Valley and met with a lot of those Republican congressmen and, uh, and the growers in the Central Valley who don't get as much water as they want uh, for legal reasons more than anything else. And that's because they have very junior water rights in this very complex system we have in this state. And they have to wait until other users get their water before they do, and they also have to wait under federal law for environmental uses uses to be served, and that means water has to be kept flowing through a lot of our rivers so that 
fish and fishermen and fisheries are supported, and we don't let those those species go extinct. And when I say going extinct, it's not only fish that are at risk of going extinct, but as I've reported, there are salmon fishermen on the coast who, whose livelihoods are at risk of going extinct because the salmon are being stressed by uh, uh, by federal policies that don't allow enough water to, to to flow down the rivers they use. Now, is there anything to the argument that uh, Republicans have been putting forward or complaining about for years that, in fact, the lack of water in the uh, uh, the, the right-leaning Central Valley here in California uh, is due to bad policies, whether it's to protect endangered species uh, or the billion-dollar uh, California salmon industry? Are, are there changes that could be made uh, that are legitimate as opposed to just the, the, the whining and the drought denial we've seen for so many years from some of these folks? Well, so bad policy is in the eye of the, of the beholders. Uh, the, the growers who are complaining, they think it's bad policy because they don't get as much water as they want. And, and look, in this, in this state, water in many parts of the state is a very scarce resource. And the only way to deal with it is to have a balanced, system that serves all of the stakeholders as well as we can and that means that that, that the growers they're they're one category of stakeholders but fish and fishermen and environmental needs that's another group of stakeholders and urban users like myself uh who who need, who get water imported from central and northern california so that we have water to drink uh and 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 wash our clothes in uh, we're another group of stakeholders, and there are a lot of state agencies and experts who, who are trying to work out a balanced policy so that everybody gets served. Uh, the growers think that any water that goes to users who are not themselves is, is bad policy, and they blame it all on leftist environmentalists, and that's a quote from some of their supporters in Congress, <laughs> and it's simply wrong. Um, that's first of all, it's not true. Second of all, all of all of the allocations of water that are being done are done in accordance with state and even more so federal law, which is very clear about where the priorities are and how this water needs to be apportioned. Within those limits, uh, state agencies and judges have worked out uh, deals and mandates, but. Uh, you know, everybody is in this together. There's not, uh, in many ways, there's not enough water to go around, although there could be if we did more conservation and the growers did wiser uh, conservation. But the, the growers are not number one, and they don't come first. And there's, there's, there's nothing about bad environmental laws. There's nothing about diversion that really tells us why they don't get as much water they want. It's really water rights and it's competing needs that are legitimate needs. Uh, the uh, Endangered Species Act, uh, you would go on to uh, report in a subsequent column over this past week, uh, seems to be at, uh, at, the, at the heart, as much as we can make sense of Donald Trump's tweet, uh, seems to be at the heart of what he might be trying to do here. And I want to talk about that in a moment. But there's also this notion 
of uh, of federal versus state control, period. Uh, I cited Emily Atkin at the top of this segment here. She writes that Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke traveled to two reservoirs in the northern uh, San Joaquin Valley uh, recently where he told reporters that his agency may intervene. Uh, There is, quote, there is a federal interest, the federal interest as the water master. He said he was joined by Republican congressman uh, from uh, Central California, Jeff Denham, who called the state's water conservation proposal a, quote, disastrous plan to flush water from valleys to the ocean. Flush waters from valleys uh, to the ocean foreshadowing the language that Trump would eventually use about diverting water. Um, there has uh, seems to be a battle royale brewing, if not already underway, between federal and state control of a lot of these issues, whether it's the mileage and emissions standards or the use of water here. Um, do, I, I find it ironic, given that, you know, Republicans are always talking about states' rights and here the feds, they want to use the feds to over uh, to Bigfoot the, uh, the state. Um, but is this about the feds being able to determine rather than the state how the state will use its own water? Well, I think this federal, this administration would like to, but this is not really about state rights in the abstract. You know, state rights, as we hear about it, is sort of a constitutional uh, mm-hmm. principle. This is about law and federal law, and Zinke is simply wrong. The fact of the matter is that, that all the federal laws that apply to the allocation of water in California, uh, including water from projects that the federal government funded, uh, the law says that that water has to be allocated in accordance with state law. It's very explicit about that. So for Zinke to suggest that he can preempt state law, he is simply wrong. And if he's if he has any doubt about that, that we would say he needs to go back to to a Supreme Court ruling in the 1970s that was written by William Rehnquist, <laughs> who nobody would mistake for a liberal Democrat, uh, which said, and it, well, well, not back, not, not back, the, not back then, Michael. They they might call him a liberal Democrat now, but go, I take your point. Go well, ahead. right. Well, he certainly wasn't then. Right. Uh, and this was before he was even Chief Justice, and, and mm-hmm. in a case entitled California v. United States, Rehnquist made it very clear that the state's rules are what apply, and the federal government doesn't have the authority to countermand them. Um, so, uh, But that hasn't stopped Zinke and Trump from saying that they can and should, and they've written letters basically threatening the state of California with a lawsuit mm-hmm. if it, if it if the if the state exercises its clear legal authority, so that's developing. I think uh, you know it's it's perfectly possible that this administration will try to to launch that fight, but it doesn't have the law behind it, and it's most likely going to lose. So that's on the uh, Interior Department side with uh, Ryan Zinke. And then there's this seems to be this other element that you also uh, report on this week at the Los Angeles Times, the Endangered Species Act. You had argued several days ago that an order issued Wednesday by Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross 
to the National Marine Fisheries Service and its parent agency, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA. And by the way, I had no idea that NOAA was actually part of the Commerce Department here. Uh, but in any event, this uh, this directive uh, directs the agencies to facilitate access to the water needed to fight the ongoing wildfires ex- affecting the state of California. Well, that's good. It then gives away the game, you, you argue, by making specific reference to the Federal Endangered Species Act, quote, consistent with the emergency consultation provisions under the ESA. Federal agencies may use any water as necessary to protect life and property in the affected areas. So what does that order tell you, uh, Mr. Hiltzik, about what they're doing uh, here? I think we could unpack that a bit. First of all, um, the Trump administration has had the knives out for the Endangered Species Act for for more than a year. And the reason uh, that it's doing that in California is because... It's, it's uh, court rulings under the Endangered Species Act that 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 made sure that water did flow down the rivers and didn't go first to the growers. So the growers have been on the warpath, saying, "Oh, you know, we're not getting water, and we're you know we're drying up because of these biological opinions that say the fish need the water." Uh, these are biological opinions that were issued in accordance with the Federal Endangered Species Act. So, so, so Trump has been out for the ESA uh, from the get-go. Now, what Ross did uh, the other day was he invoked the ESA to say, we're going to abrogate the ESA. Uh, you know, we're going to uh, declare an emergency here if we can so that we don't have to serve the rivers and we don't have to send the water down the rivers for the endangered species that is the fish we're going to use it to protect as he put it protect life and property in the affected areas and once again what he was referring to is the fire zone and he was suggesting that the water that was going down the rivers was needed to fight the fires and as we we've already said that's just Wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I would go further. I'd say that's a lie because uh, Ross and Trump have been told over and over again over the last week or weeks that the water is not needed to fight the fire. So essentially, they're trying to bootstrap this fire crisis that we have to enable them to try to undermine the Endangered Species Act. It's transparent. It's not going to go. It's certainly not going to happen without litigation. And by the time that litigation goes through the court, we're, we're going to be out of the 2018 fire season and well into the 2019 season, maybe even the 2020 season. So, so the real subtext here is, once again, an effort to serve the growers. And these are big agribusinesses, by the way. They're mm-hmm. not mom-and-pop farmers. They're huge almond orchards and pistachio orchards that have been planted by very wealthy agribusiness corporate corporate growers mm-hmm. on the assumption that they would have a steady stream of water and when they don't get the water they need their trees die and that's why they are desperate they made a mistake they planted crops that aren't really suitable for the water situation 
in California, and now they're moving heaven and earth and exerting all sorts of political influence to get water that they actually don't have a right to. M- Michael Hiltzik, why does the uh, farming industry in uh, in California get so much more love than the uh, than the fishing and the billion dollar fishing industry, the salmon industry, and so forth? Uh, that's a huge industry as well. Is there just that much of a disparity between? Uh, the amount of uh, money that comes into farmers versus uh, fishermen, or is it the amount of money that they give to these politicians? What what explains that disparity? Well, I, I think there are a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, yes, salmon is a billion-dollar industry. That is, when there are salmon to catch and when the salmon season is allowed to be five months long as it is you know, in a healthy period of time, mm-hmm. as opposed to six weeks long, which is what it's like. This year, but a billion-dollar industry—that—that that sounds big, but it's small compared to the agriculture industry in California, which is many, many times larger. Another aspect of this is that the the growing uh, the the growers are big businesses. They're big corporations. They're you know they're they're Dole, they're Del Monte-sized uh, mm-hmm. businesses. The, the fishing uh, the fishing industry is made up of a lot of small players, and they simply don't have the political clout that big agribusiness does. And, and, and as a result, I think most people in California and maybe outside the state think of California as essentially a, a, a breadbasket where, uh, you know, all of these fruits and vegetables, all the produce that you get across the country, that's California. They don't really... They're not really aware of these other livelihoods that depend on water in the state. You know, it seems sort of tangential to think of, well, you know, somebody who goes out and fishes for salmon in the ocean actually depends on the salmon getting a healthy supply of water inland so that they can spawn, and -hmm. then they go out to the ocean where they can be caught. So I think people don't don't really grasp what's going on here, and I've tried through my own reporting to uh, to bring that to people's attention mm-hmm. but it but it's hard because the growers are big they have a lot of money for advertising they have a lot of money for political lobbying they have a lot of money for political contributions and they spend that money yeah, I think you pointed out uh, in uh, one of your columns this week that the salmon salmon industry saw 95 95% of juveniles wiped out Back in, uh, was it 2014 and 2015, because uh, yeah. the worst of the drought, we had to release the water from uh, Shasta Lake, and it was too well, warm. Well, I mean, it, that, that was during the drought, but, yeah. the, but, but the water was released from Shasta Lake, which is our largest reservoir, to serve the growers. Um, and as a result of that, the water in Shasta Lake that was then then passed into the rivers was was hot or relatively hot and it boiled the small fry and destroyed the salmon catch mm. um and and that once again it's not, it wasn't the drought so much it was this determination to make water releases to serve the growers that that really just fried the fries so to speak mm. and uh, and created this this huge crisis and yes 90 uh, the figure that we have is 97% uh, of the uh, salmon smolts in the Sacramento River, which is a key supplier uh, of, of salmon to the ocean, uh, were destroyed uh, in those two years. 
Uh, the uh, David Bernhardt, the Deputy Secretary of the Interior, I don't know if you saw this, he uh, published an op-ed in Washington Post today talking about we need to update the Endangered Species Act on, quote, market-based solutions and collecting data about the economic impacts of uh, protecting these species. Uh, Michael, last uh, thought here. You seem to suggest in, in these cases when it comes to the, to the uh, feds versus the state on water policy and when it comes to the Endangered Species Act that the law is on, let's say, the good guy's side here. Uh, should we worry? It sounds like the law is on the good guy's side, uh, and hopefully this is just you know years of court battles. Uh, but is there real reason to be concerned about what the, the, the Trump administration is doing here? Well, let me start by giving you a little bit of background about David Bernhardt, who's uh, you know one of the, the number two or number three man mm -hmm. at Interior and who wrote that op-ed. David Bernhardt, before he joined the federal government, was a lobbyist for the Westlands Water District, which is the largest private water district that we're talking about. It's a junior; it has junior water rights. It's where a lot of these almond and pistachio trees are planted. It's got a real, the Westlands has a real interest in changing the law so it gets more water. And here's Bernhardt, who used to be their lobbyist and their lawyer. So that should tell you right there what's really going on here. The fact is that the Endangered Species Act is not, not a component of, uh, of a market economy. It's, it's there because if the market, if, if the free market is left to its own devices, these species will die. And the whole point of having an Endangered Species Act is to make sure that they survive despite all of these economic interests that are lined up to kill them off. And, uh, you know, basically David Bernhardt is talking the book of the people who used to employ him when he was in private practice. And, and, and I don't think his assertions about the need to have a cost-benefit calculation to protect species, endangered species, really has any credibility whatsoever. Uh, just more regulatory capture, I'm afraid, of our federal agencies. Uh, at the end of Michael Hiltzik's uh, L.A. Times column this week, headlined, Trump's minions are using California wildfires as excuse to attack endangered species protections. He writes, anyone concerned with trying to fashion rational water policy in the face of politically self-interested interference out of Washington should take heed. The Trump administration just signaled that it will stop at nothing, no matter how illogical. Michael Heltzik, I uh, hope people do take heed uh, and follow your important work on this over at latimes.com. You can also follow Michael on the Twitters at HiltzikM. Michael Hiltzik, greatly appreciate you joining us today on the broadcast. Thanks. It's happy to, I'm happy to be there with you. Thank you, sir. All right, let's take a quick break. It looks like we've got uh, some breaking news that uh, Desi Doyen and I may need you to help us decode. And uh, if time allows, um, looks like uh, Jimmy Kimmel has come up with an idea on how to convince Donald Trump he ought to care about climate change. That is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. 
We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I said we had some breaking news. We have even more breaking news uh, over the break. Uh, I heard from Ernie Canning, who our longtime legal analyst at bradblog.com, says, good news, a federal court permanently enjoined, that means stopped, North Carolina from removing voters from the voting rolls without notice and uh, without giving an opportunity to the voter to challenge their removal. As well, the court banned all removals from the voting rolls within 90 days of an election. Wow, that is good news. That is good news. So hopefully no more surprises uh, after the 90-day deadline in uh, North Carolina. And prior to that, uh, if you are removed, you should be given notice. So that is some good news. Um, And then the other story that had broken as I was talking to Michael Hiltzik there, uh, big story, Roundup, Monsanto's Roundup. Uh, A jury has ordered Monsanto to pay $290 million in punitive damages uh, to a school groundskeeper who is dying of cancer. His lawyer argues that a weed killer made by uh, the agribusiness giant Monsanto likely caused his disease. And they are uh, the San Francisco jury has awarded him some two hundred and ninety million dollars for one single person here. Wow, that's a big deal. And uh, I have a feeling it's going to spread because I think there are other lawsuits currently ongoing right now against Monsanto for uh, its weed killer, atrazine. That's the main ingredient in Roundup that has been uh, uh, linked Mm -hmm. to a host of diseases, including including cancer. So that's that's that could be a very big deal. I'm sure Monsanto will appeal, however, you think. Yeah. Um, but there, yeah, so that could be some good news because I know that uh, people have been uh, trying to get Roundup banned. I think it's banned in some uh, countries, if not here in the U.S., where we apparently we don't ban anything. We even allow asbestos to be used <laughs> at this point now. Yeah. Uh, okay, one more. Do we have time so we uh, leave on a happy note here for a change? Uh, this was Jimmy Kimmel. Talking about, since we were talking about climate change, Donald Trump and everything else, uh, Jimmy Kimmel on his late night show uh, came up with an idea that he hopes just might get Donald Trump interested in the issue of climate change and global warming. 
Maybe the most destructive thing these people are up to involves climate change. Not only is it hotter than ever, levels of carbon dioxide hit new all-time highs last year. We have abnormally warm temperatures around the globe. Arctic ice is melting at an unprecedented rate. Last month was the hottest month ever recorded in the state of California. But not only won't Trump address this, he keeps rolling back regulations that were designed to slow it down. And this is bigly important stuff. Somebody needs to get through to the president before it's too late. He lives in this world, too. So as a service to the planet, we made something that I hope he sees that this breaks down in, I think, in terms that I hope will resonate with him. The climate is in crisis. As greenhouse gases accumulate in the atmosphere, the effects can be catastrophic. Scientists say that by 2050, 80% of the world's coastal golf courses could be submerged. <laughs> Inland, droughts will dry up fairways and make putting greens unpottable. Rising sea levels in Florida will make exclusive luxury waterfront clubs uninhabitable. <laughs> Extreme weather will impact agriculture, leading to fried chicken shortages Kentucky-wide. <laughs> And young women will be too dehydrated to have sex with wealthy, older, married men. It's time to act, because it's not too late to protect the most precious treasures of all. Your handicap, your real estate, your penis. Paid for by Americans for whatever the it takes. So there you go. I hope that works. That well, that would be helped. awesome. Well, that helps. <laughs> well, you know, whatever it takes. Whatever right? the blank it takes. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you very much for finding that. Desi Doyen, our producer. Uh, my thanks to my guest today, LA Times Michael Hiltzik, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. Uh, it is always greatly appreciated. It is an honor to spend a portion of our day with you. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can always download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. I hope you will find, follow, and share what we do on the Facebooks and the Twitters, where you can find me as simply the Brad Blog. And yes, I read especially the Twitter feed very closely, so it's always good to hear from you there as well. And you can drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. Yes. Oh, and you can also yes. follow me on Twitter at Green, News, at Green News Report, and I like to hear from you as well. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Desi is at Green News Report. Yeah, actually, uh, contact her and yell at her. She wants to hear from you all the time about all of this stuff <laughs> as much as possible. All right, uh, I think that's it. Oh, my thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. You are the only thing that keeps us on our public airwaves, which may or may not be a good thing, depending on how you look at it. But if you look at having the broadcast out there fighting the good fight and the Green News Report out there fighting the good fight, then um, you can help us continue to do that as long as possible at brad, bradblog.com slash donate. And by, spread the word. By the way, we're coming up on, I think, the 900th episode of the Green News Report in the next few weeks. Feels like it. So if you don't like me, if you hate me, you can still help Desi Doyen by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to support her work, at least. All right. That's it. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.